0: Good morning and welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are joining us online or with us in person or even watching this at some later date, we are excited to worship with you this morning. If you are part of our Dayspring family, welcome home. If you are new to Dayspring, we want you to feel like you've come home as well. No matter where you're watching from, we are glad you're here with us. At Dayspring, we believe that nothing is more important than your spiritual growth. We are committed to helping you thrive no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Perhaps you're just exploring. Or maybe you walked away and are reconsidering. Maybe you don't know why you're here this morning. That's okay. Bring your questions and your doubts. You are welcome here. And we would love nothing more than to walk with you. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, please explore our website at dsf.church. I'm Chris Voigt, lead pastor at Dayspring. I'd love to connect with you if you have questions about today's message or about the next step in your spiritual journey. If you want more information about Dayspring and getting connected into our community, I'd be glad to help you do that as well. For today's service, you can find study questions in the resources section of our website, And now, let's join our service already in progress.
1: Good morning. Would you pray with me before we get started? Heavenly Father, what a great God you are. Your mercies and your glory is new every morning. And today, God, as we dive into your word, as we Take a a, a tiny look at the majesty of who you are, the magnitude of your greatness. God, I pray that our hearts, our minds would be stirred to seek after you with everything we are. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So, again, good morning, whether you are in the room or whether you are online. Um, We are in week two of our eight-week series on essentials. Last week, Pastor Chris talked a little bit about our discipleship process and how our beliefs fit into our spiritual growth. So let's do a quick review on that. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, this chart is kind of a map or a guide, and you know, if you will, and, and on what spiritual growth can look like. We uh, offer a class called Explore Day Spring 201 that covers this in more detail. You could also go on our website and watch the message message series that we did in January of 2020. So, if you are in Columns 1 or 2 of the slide that you're looking at now, or you're just beginning to grow in Christ, then by the time we are done with the service each week, you should simply know a little bit more about what we believe. For some of you, this will be new information, and that's okay. You should know what you believe. And by no, I don't mean just, you know, head knowledge. It should begin to sift its way into your spirit, meaning that what you know should begin to change how you live. For those of you in column three, the close to Christ column, you should be able to explain to someone else what you believe, to use your own words to help someone else understand what you understand about the faith that you are building your life on. And finally, for those of you mature adult Christians, whatever your actual age might be, you should be able to defend what you believe. And not in the I get defensive anytime someone questions my belief sense of the word, but in the apologetics sense of the word. You should be able to lead someone else through the scriptures That support what we believe. Know, explain, and defend. The more mature you are, the more responsibility that you have. So today we're gonna talk about God. One might expect that at church, so no surprise there. I realized that we could do a year-long series on God Himself. We could talk about His attributes, His character. The list just could go on and on. But today, we're just going to be touching the tip of the iceberg. And don't worry, I'm pretty sure that we'll get out on time. You're hoping we'll get out on time, right? But if what we believe is important, then what we believe about God is extremely important. As humans, we tend to leave gaping errors in our thinking about God, which can give an inaccurate, distorted view of who he is. And until we know who God is, we will never become the who that he has created us to be. A.W. Tozer wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that for a second. And Chip Ingram wrote, the way we act as believers and as a church states clearly what we actually think about God. What we think about God not only defines our relationship with him, it directs our actions and our attitudes in our everyday life as individuals and as a church as a whole. Or, Put another way, our actions and attitudes reveal the truth about what we think about God. Now, I believe that we can know God truly, but not exhaustively. For instance, we can have a genuine and accurate head knowledge, but we can only know God, know God, as he reveals himself to us. And he reveals more of himself to us as we have a deeper relationship with him. What we think about something or someone comes from what we know about that something or someone. When we know the truth about someone, it shapes what kind of relationship we have with them. That is why it is vitally important to know the truth about God. I mean, think about the internet. Think about internet relationships. You can't truly know someone just over the internet. You can learn a lot about them, but you can't see how they react in real time, in physical space with another person. In fact, people are scammed out of millions of dollars every day because they develop a relationship with someone who does not even exist. In our culture today, this is called catfishing. Inaccurate beliefs about a person can lead us into destructive and painful relationships. Now in our world, not just today, but for all of history, there have have been and still are many inaccurate beliefs about God, but there doesn't have to be. We have his infallible word written in our, oh, I brought my cute Bible today. Did you notice that? Girl's got to have a cute Bible. We have his infallible word, and it's written in our own language. And when we dive into that, we can meet him intimately. And that's why it's so important to be in God's word. I mean, that is primarily where he reveals himself to us. And it's a revelation of truth, not some made-up version that someone just came up with on their own. We've been learning about that. And he also reveals himself to us in other ways, creation being one. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Because of our finite minds cannot wrap themselves around the fullness of God, we can tend to assume he's like us. And when I say that out loud, doesn't that just sound absurd? I mean, of course God is not like me, and he's not a reflection of me or of you. Thank goodness, right? He's not a bigger, better version of humanity. And even at our best, we can only reflect a hint of who he is. Yet, as absurd as that sounds, we tend to make to him this magnified version of humanity. But both the Old Testament and the New Testament give us some clarity on this idea. Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verses 25 through 28 says, "'To whom will you compare me? "'Who is my equal?' asks the Holy One. "'Look up to the heavens who created the stars.'" He brings them out like an army, one after the other, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And in Romans 11, starting with chapter 33, it says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? I know. (laughs) Clearly, I think that's me sometimes. Who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever. We can also have a tendency to shrink God. We tend to bring him to a place where we can manage him. Um, His greatness and his power, his holiness is so overwhelming that we tend to bring that down to something that we can grasp. Now most of us have heard the phrase putting him in a box or maybe we try and tame his power and his greatness. When when we attempt to define God like this, we are actually manufacturing a little g God as we see him, an inaccurate God. We treat him lightly. We forget that we are completely accountable to him, not the other way around. So you can see an, an accurate knowledge of God's character and attributes is critical to an authentic relationship with him. So today, we're going to look at five truths about God. Now, we realize that each truth about God's character, who he is, could be an entire study in and of itself. But part of why we don't cover each topic exhaustively is because part of our own spiritual growth happens in personal study, either on our own or with others. So I encourage you to do that. Do your own study on these five truths about God and other truths as well. Use the sermon notes, um, the sermon study questions at home to get you started, or better yet, join a growth group and do it with others. So, are you ready to jump in? We're going to start with the easy one. The Trinity. Yeah, that's the easiest one we've got. All right. So, the Trinity of God. Three in one. The actual word Trinity does not occur anywhere in the Bible. It's a very difficult concept, and it's something we won't fully grasp until we meet them, him, face to face. The teaching from God in in his word is this. God is one being, but he exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One author writes, God is one in his essential being, but the divine essence exists in three modes or forms, each constituting a person, yet in such a way that the divine essence is wholly present in each person. The Bible's emphasis throughout is that God is one, and we can see that in Deuteronomy Six, four. Uh, we can see that in Deuteronomy 6.4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Another version might say the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, Part of the challenge we have understanding the concept of the Trinity is the inadequacy of human words to describe divine reality. For instance, we use the term three persons when we speak of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in one. And we use the two persons because that is the word that we have to describe a being who has intellect, emotion, and will. That word makes sense to us, but it's an imperfect term. It implies separate moral or rational individuals. And there are not three individuals, but three personal self-distinctions within one divine evidence. Paul Little writes, person used in human terms implies independence, not oneness of will, actions, and feelings, as is true of the Trinity. The divine Trinity is One self conscious, self directing being, yet no part ever acts independently or in opposition to the others. God is a unity. His life is not split into three, He has one essence, personality, and will. Now, even though the Son and the Spirit are subordinate to the Father, that does not mean that they are inferior they work together as one because they are one for instance we can see their work as one in the process of how we can have an eternal relationship with god we call that salvation in salvation god chose to love us and have relationship with us jesus redeemed us with the shedding of his blood and the holy spirit sealed our hearts for eternity and we see this in Ephesians chapter 1 4 through 8 even before he made the world God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ And then, when we jump down to verse 12, we see God's purpose was that the Jews who were in, who were the first to trust Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now, you Gentiles, that's us, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom He promised long ago. The The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So what we believe about the Trinity is definitely vital when we see how it fits together with our eternal relationship with God. Now, because we cannot fully understand the fullness of the Trinity, we use inadequate word pictures such as water or an egg to illustrate the concept. You know, water can be liquid, ice, or steam, or maybe the egg has a shell, the white, and a yolk. And these analogies make some sense in that they help us understand how three unique components can be one complete whole, but they don't explain the complexities of the Trinity. Mary Wiley puts it this way. Water is an element acting in three different ways in response to conditions around it. God isn't one person switching between functions, but three persons working together in one function. And in regards to the egg, God is not three parts of a whole. Each person is fully God, not a three-way division of God. So you could even throw away a piece of the egg and you could still have breakfast. Depending on which piece you throw away, I guess. But we've all had a shell in our scrambled eggs. You know, I I don't bring uh, these illustrations up to take away from the helpfulness of the illustrations, but so that you can use them more accurately, saying, you know, that God is kind of like water, except that, or he is kind of like an egg, except that God. You can have a fuller explanation. So, all right, let's move on to our second truth today. It's another easy one. God is holy. God's holiness Now, the ultimate moral attribute of God is his holiness. And I read somewhere holiness is the sum total of the perfection of God. Holiness is the sum total of the perfection of God. And it's a term that refers to God's moral excellence and his freedom from any and all limitations or restrictions to moral perfection. In the book of Habakkuk, it says that God is pure and he cannot stand the sight of evil. And in Exodus, in Exodus it says, who is like you among the gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. All that God does is good. He is free from any imperfection. He is absolutely perfect, and sin cannot be in his presence. He is a holy God. This is from the Bible Project. God's holiness is his defining characteristic. The holiness of God is used in the Bible to describe both his goodness and power. It is completely unique And utterly all-powerful radiating out from God like an energy. In fact, God's holiness is so overwhelming that it can be too dangerous to approach. At the same time, it is a gift, able to heal a broken and impure world. God's holiness is power and healing. It is the magnitude of his goodness. It's also the measuring stick for the goodness of humanity. It's the sin meter for us. God says, be holy because I am holy. Impossible, right? No matter how hard we try, we do what we don't want to do. We say what we don't want to say. We think what we don't want to think. Here is where Jesus comes in. It is impossible for any human in their own strength to be holy or perfect or sinless. We cannot, I repeat, cannot be good enough in our own strength to be in relationship with the holy God. But here's the good news. A relationship with this holy God is possible because of Jesus Christ. Since it is impossible for me to be good enough on my own, God sent Jesus to advocate for me, to pay my penalty once and for all, yours too. And when I acknowledge that I can't be good enough, that I I am a sinner in Christianese terms and I accept the fact that Jesus took my punishment by dying on a cross for me and when I surrender my will, my way, my desires, my thoughts to Jesus Christ, I can have a relationship with our holy God, the creator of the universe. Which brings us to our third truth today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first sentence in the Bible. God created all of nature. He created light and days and nights, sky and seas, plants and creatures and humanity. And it was beautiful until humans messed it up. And well, here we are, all of us, in desperate need of a Savior. Now you can read all about the basics of creation in Genesis. God is not just the creator and ruler of nature and humanity. He also created free will and love and truth. He is completely unrestrained by time and space because he created those too. He is eternal and infinite in nature. Psalm 90, 1 through 4 says, Lord. Through all the generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born. Before you gave birth the earth and the world. To the worth and the world, from beginning to end. You are God. You turn people back to dust. Saying return to dust you mortals. For you a thousand years are a passing day. And as brief as a few night hours. When you walk outside today, look all around you. Nature points to God's existence, which in turn points to the gospel. Everything about God points humanity to having a relationship with him. Romans 1.20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. We have no excuse for not knowing the truth about God. God created you and me for a purpose. First, to have relationship with him, to worship him, and then to show him to others that they might know him. Everything is in existence because God wants an intimate relationship with you, with you and with you and with you and with you and with you. Our fourth truth about God, He is our promise keeper. We all know that a promise is a declaration that something will or will not be done. And we've all made promises. If you let me get that puppy, I promise I will feed it and take it for walks every day. Or, I promise I won't do that again. Only to, well, do it again. We are not perfect at keeping our promises. We have great intentions. But we fail. God does not fail. His promises are true for all of eternity. God's promises are all about bringing us closer and closer to our triune holy creator. In the Old Testament, there are several covenants uh, or promises between God and his people. And he says, if you obey me, we can have a relationship, and you'll be my people, and I'll be your God. And he gives specific guidelines for his people to follow. And with the arrogance of a, you can't tell me what to do attitude, the people break their end of the covenant. But God never breaks his promises. Besides God keeping his promises, which are extre- which is extremely important, maybe even more important is that all through time, those promises point to Jesus. In the beginning, when man began to sin, we see the first prophecy about Jesus. Satan, disguised as a serpent, entices Eve to sin, who then deceives Adam to sin, and God tells the serpent that he will lose the war in the end when he says, He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God is speaking of Jesus striking down the head of Satan. Another place in the Old Testament, we read about a covenant God made with Abraham. It stated that if Abraham went where God told him to, he would become a great nation. Become famous and a blessing to others. In fact, he told Abraham that all families on earth will be blessed through you. There it is. Jesus is one of Abraham's descendants. Every family can have access to a relationship with Jesus. There are several other covenants. The Mosaic Covenant in Exodus. The Priestly Covenant in Numbers. The Divinic Covenant. Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel, but the most important is the new covenant, and it's introduced more clearly in Jeremiah 31, starting with verse 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. There it is again. God's promises always revolving around relationship with him and how to have it. The new covenant is the ultimate covenant which trumps all of the others. The new covenant is the promise that if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be in relationship with God for all of eternity. How amazing is that? And our fifth and final truth for today is is that God is our heavenly father. God is a good father. Now, this concept of father in our broken world can mean so many things, negative things to humanity. Maybe your father was absent or abusive or belittling anything but love. Remember that we cannot measure God by human standards. We see God as he reveals himself to us in scripture. In fact, in scripture, Jesus tells a story of a wayward son who squanders his inheritance, goes on a long party binge and when he has nothing left, he returns home to be part of the family again. He approaches his father and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, in this time and culture, it would have been totally unacceptable for the father to give him a second chance. Wouldn't even consider it. You would never welcome back such an ungrateful squanderer. But God. In the Bible, we see that the father in the story not only accepts the son back, he runs to him arms open wide to welcome him home. He throws a party and he invites all his friends to celebrate the son's homecoming. The story shows that when we recognize that we have sinned against heaven and the Father, he shows us what grace is. God, as our Father, extends grace to us wayward children. He runs to us with open arms as we choose to come to him and turn away from our wayward life and receive his son, Jesus Christ. God isn't just our heavenly father. He's our eternal father as well. He exists outside all relationships of time, and he's not subject to change. He knew you before you were born. He knows the number of days left in your life. He started something in you that he will see through to the finish. God the Father accomplishes his work. He will finish what he started in you. And part of what he started is your spiritual growth. So you can see why what we believe about Scripture matters, as Chris talked about last week. And you can see why what we believe about God matters and it is our responsibility to take what we believe to the next step. Part of our journey of growth is discovering what we believe. Part of our growth is being able to explain to someone else the truth of what we believe. And part of our growth is knowing what scripture to use to defend the truth of our belief. Know, explain, defend. Now, our spiritual maturity isn't just about you and me personally. We are part of God's plan in showing him to others so that they too may begin their spiritual growth process. So where are you with your belief about God? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Are you able to explain uh, what you believe to someone who desperately needs to know? Do you know how to find the scripture to back up your beliefs? So I'm going to ask you to pray with me today. And for some of you, you're discovering who God is for the first time. For some of you, life's been a little crazy these last months, like more than 12. And maybe you've kind of wiggled your way away from him a little bit. I'm going to pray right now, but what I want you to know is that even if you don't pray this prayer with me right now, especially for those of you at home, in the room as well, It's so simple to start your relationship with Christ. It doesn't have to be an eloquent prayer. Clearly, I'm not eloquent in prayer. You just talk to the one who loves you the most. So if you'd like to do that right now, we're going to pray. For those of you who already have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you during this little short beginning prayer to pray for those who are on the fence, and they just need to take the plunge, Let's pray together. God, what a loving, holy creator you are. You, you created me. You created each one of us so that we could have relationship with you. That is so amazing to me because I know that in my life, I really can be a mess up. And so, God, take my failures. Take my wrongdoings take my sin. I lay it at the foot of the cross. I acknowledge Jesus Christ as your son who died on the cross to bring me to you, to pay that penalty I could never pay, to be that perfection I could never be. God, have your way in me. Show me the truth of who you are. God, we are so (laughs) ever grateful for your love for us. There are some out there who are struggling to understand it because it's really hard right now. Meet them, Lord, where they are. Touch their hearts where they are. Focus their minds on you because you are the only thing that can get us through. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise and honor you. And it's in your son's precious, holy name that all of the people said, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us in worship today. Whether you are part of our Dayspring family or just joined us for the first time, we'd love to walk with you on your spiritual journey. Feel free to drop us an email if you have questions or want more information. For those of you who choose to invest financially at Dayspring, thank you for your generosity and commitment to helping others grow. Every gift, large or small, matters and God never ceases to surprise us with what He is able to do because of your commitment to following Him in every part of your life. If you're our guest today, please know that we consider your time a gift to us and this service our gift to you. We don't expect you to contribute financially. For those of you who would like to partner financially, there are three easy ways for you to give. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail one of those old-fashioned checks to us. You would also bless us if you would subscribe, share, and like our live stream wherever you watch it. The social media algorithms use those likes to elevate our social media presence which means more people hear about the ways Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems. Until next week, may the grace of God bless every aspect of your life.